and uh, welcome to our worship service this morning and a particular welcome to the Bon Accord Silver Band who are with us today. We just love this service. It doesn't feel like Christmas to you guys have been here uh, singing carols with us and playing, playing carols for us uh, on a Sunday morning before Christmas. So it's great to have you here and God bless you and all the running around you're doing over the next uh, few weeks playing for folks. It's, it's super to have you. Just a few announcements uh, before we begin. Um, we have uh, a lot of different services coming up, but I want to draw your attention to a few in particular. Uh, we have our community carol service down in the Leisure Centre in Balmedy on Christmas Eve, Saturday 24th at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, that's always, I think the best term is a rami, um, but it's always really good fun, so I uh, would encourage you to come to that if you can. And for the grown-ups, there's a watch night service uh, Saturday 24th at 11 o'clock here in the church. So we sing carols for the first uh, half hour, and then after that we have a wee service just leading us into Christmas Day. And um, today after the service, there's a soup lunch in the Preside Hall. You're welcome to stay if you're able to. And on Tuesday of this week, uh, from 10 to 12, uh, it's Coffee Haven open in the Preside Hall. So if you want to stop in for a fine piece and a cuppy and a wee chat, you would be very welcome to turn up. But those are all our announcements, so let's begin our worship this morning in the words of our opening hymn, which is, O Come All Ye Faithful.
Let's take a minute to pray together now. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you for the gifts of this season. Blue skies, sunshiny days, occasionally. Clear, starry nights. Digging around in the loft or the garage for the Christmas decorations. And the wee rituals we have around the preparation of our homes. The colourful lights that shine in the darkness. The sacredness and the silliness that sit side by side. The promise of quality time with the people that we love. We bless you for these things. And we recognise how much we need them at the end of what's been a tough year for all of us. The angels sang of peace, Lord, on the night of your birth, the goodwill to all people on whom your favour rests. So as we remember the stories of this season in word and in song this morning, may we remember that your advent isn't a thing of the past. May we experience even now the peace that comes from knowing you. And realising that we have your favour because of your goodness and not our own. Your coming to us and blessing us in Christ is all of grace. And as we live under that blanket of grace, may we as best we can draw others under the comfort of its warmth. Spreading it out and sharing the goodwill that we ourselves have received from you. So hear our prayers this morning, because we ask them all in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Cynthia, would you like to make your way to the front now? We're going to uh, hear the story of uh, Christmas today, of Advent, through uh, some of the Bible readings and some of the great hymns of this time of the year, some of the Christmas carols. And we begin our readings with Luke 2, verses 1 to five. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. You say that only two things are certain in life and a death sorry, it's certain in life, death and taxes. So when a government promises to reduce tax, it's usually a vote winner, unless your name happens to be Liz Truss. And when Caesar Augustus came into office, he announced a very popular tax rebate for all the citizens of Rome, but then the economy sank and the zealots began launching terrorist attacks again and debt went through the roof. So Caesar had to start and increase taxes again. And this taxing was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Tax evasion and tax avoidance are nothing new. The Roman Inland Revenue Service were determined to get the last penny out of every citizen 
And some bright spark suggested that the best way to start that process would be to have a census. Everybody would have to return to their hometown to register. And that meant there was a great movement of people returning home just before Christmas, much as there is today, although without the train strikes. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Joseph was eager to see his family in the south again, but there was just one problem. Mary was expecting her baby any day, and Nazareth to Bethlehem was an 80-mile trip that would take the best part of a week to make. He didn't like the idea of putting her through that, but Caesar's empire wasn't known for its sympathy or understanding. So with no little reluctance, they saddled up and started out on the long, long journey to Bethlehem. And our next carol this morning is Little Town of Bethlehem. <gasps>
second readings are taken from Luke chapter 2 and reading verses 6 to 20. And Alan's going to help us at this point. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Mary and Joseph's fears were well founded that the rough donkey ride from Nazareth to Bethlehem had hurried things along. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Bethlehem was a small place, more of a village than a town. And with so many people coming and going that night, there was no room to be found anywhere. And so it was that the saviour of the world came to be born in a byre among the noises, the smells, and the curious gazes of the grazing animals. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. A shepherd's life is a lonely life. At night, after the sheep had settled down, the shepherds would build themselves a fire and sit around talking and telling each other stories. And it was on just such an ordinary night that heaven stepped through the veil of darkness and onto the stage of history. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Out of nowhere, the quiet Bethlehem skies were flooded with light. These hardy men, used to all kinds of dangers, were shaking with the kind of fear that seizes you when you come up against something uncanny and utterly other. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that we will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This wasn't the message of judgment they'd feared. This angel was bringing good news, the best news, the Messiah that their people had been waiting for for thousands of years was finally here and they had been chosen to witness his arrival. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Imagine the sky darkened again and the echo of the singing gone. The void of silence punctuated only by their own breathing and the grunts of the animals. I guess it was a few moments before anybody dared to speak, but when they did, the conversation was only ever going to lead them in one direction back into the village to see for themselves what on earth was going on in Bethlehem that night. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Were they good with babies, those rough men? I guess that many of them had held newborn lambs in their arms before, kept them warm, nursed them to health. Did they dare have a rosy? 
Or was Mary too protective to let these strangers do more than nudge the blanket aside to get a look at his wee face? Did they really understand who or what they were seeing? That this, in some unfathomable way, was God himself come to us in human form, his long-planned Messiah. We can't know for sure, but the visit definitely made a big impression on them. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. By the time they left the Holy Family, the sun was coming up and the daily routine was getting into full flow. Merchants were preparing their stalls, travellers were packing their bags, hosts were preparing breakfast for their guests. For them it was just another morning, just like any other. Little did they know that this morning was like no other morning, and the world would never be the same again. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Our next hymn is See in Yonder Major Low. <coughs>
final reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 2, and reading verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. After Jesus was born, after is a loose word, hours, weeks, months, maybe even years could have passed before the Magi found their way to the Holy Land and the Holy Child. We forget that Luke only tells us about the shepherds, while Matthew only mentions the wise men. It's the merging of the two accounts over long years that brings both groups together in our imaginations. What matters more is that these men, pagan astrologers, should be among the very first to acknowledge the Christ, showing that his coming was not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Someone once said that the only folk who can be trusted to wield power are those who wouldn't readily choose it. Those who seek power for themselves will always live with the lurking fear that someone will rise up to take it from them. And in that sense, Jesus is Herod's worst nightmare. Someone with a more legitimate claim, a divine claim to power. Small wonder the king is worried. And when the king's worried, bad things happen. Small wonder the people are worried too. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Those words come from the Old Testament prophet Micah and he wrote them down some 800 years earlier. From a distance of nearly a millennia, other prophets wrote about the birth, the work, and the death of the Messiah with startling accuracy. How could they know these things unless somehow God was preparing the faith community for the one who was to come? Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. For worship, read, kill. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. If you go and Google the star of Bethlehem, you'll find all manner of possible explanations for the star. A supernova, a comet, a conjunction of planets, who knows? At the end of the day, it's not important. What matters is, is that by some means, the Magi were led to the right place, which seems by this stage to have been a house not a stable. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Strange gifts, but gifts that were fit for the particular kind of king Jesus was going to be. Gold, which signifies value, longevity and purity. Frankincense, a special kind of fragrance used by priests in carrying out their duties. And myrrh, a sweet-smelling liquid that was rubbed gently into the skin of someone who had died. A gift foreshadowing the destiny of this child to die for the sin of the world. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The God who called them to this journey through starlight sees them safely on their way by a dream. Hints and signs are sometimes all that we get. But when we act on them, who knows where God might take us? Meanwhile, the powers are already seeking out the Christ child, but they cannot find him for now. Our next hymn uh, picks up on that story, and it's As With Gladness Men of
Let's take a wee moment to pray together now. Let's pray. Lord, we love hearing this story year on year. And we know it. And yet we don't know it. We can't begin to plumb the depths of what happened all those years ago. And yet we believe in faith that the same God is still operating in the world, that the same Christ is still near us, that the same Spirit who hovered over the waters in creation, hovered over the cradle in the manger, uh, in the the stable all those years ago, is with us now, making real these things in our time and our place and our lives. So as we reflect on the story today, Lord, make connections with our real lives lived here in the year 2022, in December, in all the circumstances that life holds for us just now. May you be real in these things as we attend to your word and to the God behind it. So hear our prayers, for we ask them in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder what your perfect build-up to Christmas would look like. Every year when Advent comes around, I think to myself, right, this is going to be the year. This year is going to be different. I'm going to strike that perfect work-life balance. I'm going to be organized. I'm going to get it right this time. But I never do. And I doubt that you do either. My perfect build-up to Christmas would see me sitting by a real fire in the evening, stroking my beard thoughtfully, pondering the Christmas stories to plumb them for new depths. I'd be able to spend quality time with family and friends. I would have time to choose perfect gifts for the people that I love. I would be reflective, I'd be prayerful. I would eat like a horse, but I would exercise like a horse too, so that would be fine. Does it happen? Well, what do you think? Christmas, for me, always ends up being an exercise in plate spinning, trying to work out how to tell the nativity story in a dozen different ways, trying and failing to keep on top of the pastoral work that needs done, making Christingle kits for 60 primary kids, or printing out capital letters on brightly coloured paper for the children's talks in school and church, shopping for last-minute props that I'd forgotten about, or sifting through huge amounts of material for that little nugget of gold that can bring a service to life. And that's before I even try to be a husband or a dad. And chances are it's exactly the same for you, although the parameters are different. Maybe for you it's the shopping and the wrapping and the planning and the cooking and the card writing and the visiting that are the things that you have to juggle. Or maybe you're frantically trying to fix things at the last minute at work. Or navigate the treacherous waters of family feuds and expectations at this time of year. Well, whatever it is, isn't it the case that Advent, the build-up to Christmas, can often be the very opposite of what it's meant to be? It can be a time of stress and frantic activity instead of a time when we deliberately try to slow down and think about our lives in preparation for what's to come. And we get through it by telling ourselves that it'll be worth it once we finally get there. 
Once everything's done and arranged and the turkey's cooked to perfection and the gifts are received with joy, then we can relax, then we can be happy. And we do get there most of the time. And most of the time it is worth it. But isn't it true that Christmas can be a wee paradigm for how we often live life with the view that happiness is somewhere up the road from where we are just now? It's ahead of us instead of right here and now. So when I get that task done or solve that problem or make that new purchase, when I get the holiday that I need or when I finally retire, then I'll be happy. Then. Not now. I found a wee poem by Adrian Plass uh, a while ago that sums up that thinking really well. It's called Getting There. I wonder if this speaks to any of you this morning. Once I've cleaned this house up properly, I honestly think I'll get somewhere. Once I've pulled out every single piece of furniture and used an abrasive cloth with the strong stuff on it, I think I shall come to grips with the rest of my life. Once I've put everything into separate piles, each containing the same sort of thing, I think I'll manage. Once I've written a list that includes absolutely everything, I think the whole business will seem much clearer. Once I've eaten sensibly for more than a week and a half, once I've sorted out the things that are my fault, once I've sorted out the things that are not my fault, once I've spent a little more time reading useful books, being with people I like, getting out into the fresh air, making bread, drinking less, drinking more, going to the theatre, adopting a third word child, eating free range eggs and writing long letters. Once I've pulled out every single piece of furniture and cleaned this house up properly, once I've become somebody else, I honestly think I'll get somewhere. That's the voice of someone for whom contentment is always just out of reach. Some of you will know the story of Jesus' friends Mary and Martha in the New Testament. Jesus came to visit their home one day and Mary took those moments to sit with his disciples and to listen to him talk while Martha, poor Martha, grew more and more hassled in the kitchen, laboring under the expectations that she had of herself, some of them cultural and some of them personal. She wasn't present to herself. She was flustered and annoyed. She wasn't present to her company. She was removed physically and emotionally from them. And she wasn't present to her God, who had come to spend the day under her roof, but whose presence she was missing even as he sat there. So let me ask you, are you present this morning? Present to yourself, present to the people you love, present to God whose incarnation shows just how much he desires our company. Don't pin your hopes on some hypothetical future when everything's sorted and you can make time for these things. Because the only moment that we truly have is the one we are living in right now. It may not be the perfect moment, but it's the only one that we can be genuinely present in. And 
the sooner we realize that, the better. One of the carols that we often sing at Christmas time, and one we're going to sing very shortly, says that Christ's birth strikes for us now the hour of grace. And this great festival of our faith is about the now. It's about the constant call of the Christ child to you and me to be present to him as he has been and indeed is present with us. And it's also about grace. The fact that God meets us where we are in the middle of all the mess and all the chaos of living if we're willing to let him in. Mess really doesn't bother him. You only have to look at the nativity story to see that. Indifference, tokenism, superficiality, that's what gets his goat. I love this season more than any other time in the church year. It's rich with meaning and with possibility. And the sum total of every Christmas carol sung and every Christmas sermon ever preached at this time of year amounts to the same thing. If we open our lives to God, despite the mess without us and within us, he will enter in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us at some indefinable time in the future when we've got everything else sorted out. No. Be born in us. Today. It's all about the now. Amen. We're going to sing together again. And it's the hymn I was just alluding to there. Strikes for us now the hour of grace. And it's still the night or silent night as it's known. And we'll remain seated to sing this one.
Let's pray together now. God, our Father, in this Advent season, when we remember the birth of your Son, blanketing the world in grace like the endless falling of the snow, we ask that you would help us use this time as best we can to reflect on our living and the one to whom our lives tend. In the face of the gospel story that we've heard this morning, we ask you to bless us with everything that makes for a good Christmas. We pray for justice, that those whom the world dismisses might take centre stage in our thoughts and concerns. For compassion, that no young mother should be put away in disgrace, and that no one bearing grief or pain should be sidelined. For hospitality, that no door will be shut on those who need to find it open. For peace, that in places of war or strife, common humanity and common sense might overcome all other divisions. For wisdom, that discernment might be the hallmark of all our leaders. For innocence, that children might be preserved from those who would harm them. And for worship, that this Christmas we might find the time to reflect long on this story and realise our place in its continuing unfolding. All this we pray in Christ's name. One last hymn before we finish, but again, just to remind you that we are having a soup lunch after the service. You're welcome to stay if you're able to. And we had uh, attempted to take up our offering in a different way this morning by putting pedestals at the front of the church, but I think you didn't see them. So there is there's a pedestal just at, or a, there's a plate just at the back here if you want to leave your offering as you as you leave. Belt and braces front and back. But in future we will be taking the offering in the vestibule just when you come in, just so you know that for the weeks ahead. So we're going to close our worship this morning in the words of our final hymn, which is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. <coughs>
in the peace and in the presence of the child of Bethlehem. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. Please be seated. 